At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to another Foul Front, guys. I am your host, per usual, Matt, and joining me as well is Thomas. Thomas, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Uh, I've been busy the last couple weeks. Call shop stuff is starting to ramp up and been busy training the pups. So it's been a couple hectic weeks, but excited to be back on here, Chad and Ducks, and getting that to that time of year where it's kind of duck season, teal season, early goose is in sight. So I know me and you are both kind of ramping up, getting ready to start dropping some videos and looking forward to some hunts here before too long. Yeah. Yeah. Early goose for the uh, first state in the country actually is two months from tomorrow. So, yep. So we're, we are (laughs) the countdown. I mean, the countdown has been on for a while now, but (laughs) we're, we're getting closer, getting closer every day. So yeah, absolutely. For me, it never really, you know, I don't really. I try at least to not think about it too much until after the Fourth of July passes. And once you get past the Fourth of July, I'm typically kind of in the mood where I'm like done with summer and I'm ready to start thinking about fall and chasing birds around. So still got a couple of weeks until that, and I'm gonna try and enjoy summer here for the next couple of weeks, but. Once uh, that 4th of July weekend wraps up, it's going to be time to really start thinking about them. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it seems like after 4th of July, that's when everyone starts, you know, the next big holiday is Labor Day. And that's the weekend dove opener is, goose opener in some states, teal opener in other states. So, yeah, it's, it's slowly, slowly getting closer. But... We have some good news, speaking of North Dakota here, um, and that's what we're going to talk about mainly tonight, is the North Dakota breeding um, survey came out from Delta. So North Dakota waterfowl survey, I should say. So Yeah, excited to talk about that. Before we get into that, though, what have you been up to? You had any big developments the last couple of weeks? Um, not, let's see, no, not not too much. I mean, I've just been pulling weeds in my garden all my stuff's finally coming up and it's looking really well so i'm sure we'll get a thunderstorm with hail hail come through and just knock it all out it seems like that's how it typically goes but uh no i've just been busy pulling weeds tried tried a little fishing it's kind of well it's tougher without a boat to not impossible but haven't had haven't had too much luck on the fishing front yeah yeah how are how's the ag ground in your area looking? You have y'all caught the rains y'all needed to, or is it still bone dry? No, we've caught the rains. Um, for the most part, I mean, we're still in a drought. Most of the whole state is. I think there's like a just small corner in the southeastern chunk that's out of drought status. But uh, we caught some good rains back in May, and we even had uh, we have some wetlands that have water in them, and there's 
actually some ducks nesting on them. So hopefully, uh, if we can keep catching a few more rains between now and September, we might have some teal spots. Uh, I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed on that. So yeah, but they're, yeah. I mean, they're drying up fairly quick. It's you know hasn't rained for hasn't rained across the whole area. I guess I should say there's pop up thunderstorms every other day. It seems like, but they don't. You know, you got to be in the line of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm sure it's an improvement on last year, right? I mean, last year, y'all didn't <laughs> yeah. have any wetlands at this time, did you? No, everything was bone dry. Um, everything was brown. We've actually got like our pastures, they're they're green. So that's that's all. That's a welcome improvement. We'll take that all, every year. Heck yeah. Have you seen any turkey poults, any broods around? Uh, no, no turkey poults yet. Uh, it seems like I typically run into them later is when I'll see them. So I'll see them in like late July or August, kind of when I'm starting to scout for dove spots or something. But I'll, you know, they'll be fairly big by that time. But I never really see them when they're little. Yeah, I mean, that's probably a good sign. I mean, you hope yeah. that you got enough <laughs> enough cover on the ground where you don't see them when they're just little chicken nuggets. Because if you see them when they're that small you know, the odds of a predator running into them are probably pretty high as well. Oh, yeah. Well, should we get into uh, North Dakota numbers? Yeah, I guess let's uh, let's just jump right into her here. So as previously stated, the North Dakota Waterfowl Survey came out, I think it was late last week or maybe this past weekend, um, and you guys can see that on Delta. Delta Waterfowl has the news story on it. There might be other sites where you can find it as well, but we're kind of going to just kind of break it down and uh, go from there. So starting off, North Dakota got a lot of, they had extreme snowpack this past season. Um, they kept getting dumped on by the snow and that melted finally. I think it, I don't know if it melted. It took to like, like April, I believe, for it to all melt off or for a majority of it to melt off. Yeah. Um, I got yeah. up, when I got up here to Minnesota, it was, I like around April 25th. And I mean, there was still, still plenty of drifts, still snow in the shaded area. So, I mean, out there they had even more snow. I'd say they probably still had a good bit of snow into the first, second week of May. Um, but yeah, definitely a really good snowpack year out there. Yeah. And it, I guess I haven't really been keeping up too much with, uh, you know, how, how they're getting for rain up that way, but I know some places are getting rain that desperately need it. You know, parts of Nebraska, um, Kansas is still pretty dry in some spots, and spots in Nebraska are pretty dry as well. California, I heard, has been getting a ton of rain, so that's you know a little bit of good news across the country for on the duck front at least. Yeah, I got to imagine North Dakota has the wetlands have held their own, if not grown, um, since that snowmelt. Because I mean, we've got pretty substantial rains here throughout May and into June um, where I'm at. And every time I've looked at the radar, there's been pop-up thunderstorms, if not a big squall line out in North Dakota. So uh, pretty sure they've been catching the rains that they need to, to maintain that wetland habitat. Good. So I guess we'll just start kind of jump right in here, break it off piece by piece going through this. Um, Starting off, it says, Results from the North Dakota Game and Fish Department's annual breeding waterfowl and wetland survey reveal good to excellent conditions for breeding ducks, which we kind of just alluded to with, you know, that extreme snowpack. Um, and that's obviously really good news, especially after, was it two years it was extreme drought? Because they caught, did they catch some rains late or was it, no, it was last year, right? Last year, last year conditions were really good. Um, it was, okay. it was the summer of 2021 and I, I don't want to speak out of turn. I'm not sure about 2020. Can't really remember, but yeah, 2021 was the really bad drought. Um, they kind of, I'm pretty sure they started going into it in the fall of 2020. Like they didn't get much fall rains and then they didn't have much snowpack, not much spring rain. So yeah, 2021 was really bad. And then last year um, was really good. I think last year snowpack wasn't out of this world, but there was just a ton of rains um, up here in like April and May. So 
got those wetlands filled up right as the ducks were showing up. And I actually looked it up right before this. It was a six, 616% increase in wetlands or water on the landscape, one of the two, uh, between 2021 and 2022, which was uh, the largest increase from year to year ever seen in that North Dakota survey. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and we'll kind of touch on what the water conditions are like out there this year. But uh, you got to remember that last year was pretty much about as much of an anomaly as you can get uh, in terms of kind of the wetlands bouncing back in one year. Yeah. Yep. So I guess going on um, a little further, it says the total duck number was estimated just above 3.4 million, a slight increase over the breeding population from 2022. So obviously that's good news. Um, and then they kind of start breaking it down into species. So first off, they start with mallards, 10% decrease at 640,000 and blue-winged teal also down slightly lower, they say, but still at a strong 925,000 in the state. So, um, yeah, I, I guess it doesn't really say, at least not where I'm looking, the historic average, but kind of concerning the mallards are down. Maybe that means mallards are finding other places not in North Dakota to nest. I mean, I mean, of the nesting birds, I've at least ducks, I've witnessed here in Nebraska, most are all mallards, or most, pretty much all are mallards. I don't know if I've seen anything else yet. But yeah, that, just to that, touch on what. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just you know that that's just speculative. I don't have any definitive proof for that. Yeah, I'm. It's hard. It's hard to speculate on that. Um, what you always got to remember is just that it is just breeding ducks. So. You know, the, they could have been late showing up by the time uh, when they were doing the survey. They could have, like you said, they could have kind of spread out more. They could be nested over here in Minnesota more this year. Um, it's hard to really speculate. I think, you know, the bigger picture is what is the important thing to look at in these surveys. And um, like you were saying, it's total duck number is 3.4 million, which the the wording they use here, a slight increase over the breeding population from 2022 it's a little, I don't, it's not deceptive, but they could have just said it's basically, you know, the same as last year. Because last year, the estimate was 3.4 million as well. Um, and to answer your question about the long-term average, I'm not sure what that long-term average number is, but I'm looking at the numbers from, or the art, an article about that 2022 survey, and they said 3.4 million was 38% above the long-term average. So, pretty good. Um, all things considered for, you know, this year we're, it's going to be right about 30, 40 to 35% above the long-term average as well. Yeah. Very good. So going on, we have more good news here. There are increases in redheads, canvasbacks, and shovelers over 2022, <laughs> but perhaps the best news is a 40% increase in breeding pintails. And it says here, bringing their breeding populations in North Dakota back to numbers not seen in the state since the 2000s. So, obviously, that's excellent news. Um, I know DU published a story about pintail numbers just a few months ago, how we were really close to maybe a uh, total closure of the season on pintails. I mean, there's there's a set quota that they need, and I want... I want to say it was Ducks Unlimited. I'm pretty sure it was. But, yeah, obviously, you know, pintails are, um, their their numbers are harder to maintain. They're the, them and Scop, they have, it's a one bird limit, I, I believe, across the country. I know pintail is. Yeah, yeah, pintail, um, one bird everywhere. And I think, pretty sure we were within, like, 30,000 birds um, obviously, it's not the breeding duck counts aren't an exact count. They go out and do surveys, plug them into a model. That model tells you how big um, the or gives you an estimate on how big the breeding population of that species is. But we were like right on the border last year of there being a pintail closure. So 
hopefully this year uh, we'll see a bounce back. I think it's 1.75 million breeding pairs um, if, or breeding pintails. If it drops below that threshold, then we are looking at a closed season. Yep. Yep. You're correct, Thomas. It was 1.75 million is the federally mandated population. Um, this story is called uh, Pintails on the Brink, DU Special Report from Ducks Unlimited, and it was just a couple months ago. So it's a quick read, um, pretty interesting read as well. So yeah, we were 30,000 birds. Uh, where is it? Yeah, 30,000 birds in, away from a total closure. Yeah. pretty, Which is crazy. But yeah, I think that's a probably one of the best articles I've ever read um, based on for explaining how that modeling works and how the regulatory process works, because it's it's a really convoluted system, you know, especially just for your duck hunter who, you know, gets your state reg book every year and abides by those regs. You know, you don't really have any input in that. You're you're not really a you know, you are a stakeholder in it, but there's not much you can do to change it. Um, but I think it's a good read just to gain a basic understanding of how those systems work. Um, because, you know, in the long term, we we need to be advocates for, you know, conservation, obviously, but uh, for hunting as well, you know, and seems like not to get political here, we try to keep this not political, but it seems like the current administration uh, is not in favor of hunting um some of the regulations they put in place so yeah i think we need to uh as hunters we need to be uh cognizant of kind of the political climate and um who is managing uh the regulations that affect our hunting opportunities absolutely that was way more politically correct than i meant to say that but yeah (laughs) i think it got the point across yeah so going down here um let's see then they talk about canada goose numbers it says canada goose numbers declined 27 percent. however last year they were at an all-time high the estimated 297,000 canada geese represents a strong population yeah and just to give a little bit of uh, an anecdotal story to what I think kind of explains that is obviously um, last year, or I guess not obviously, but last year there was a big snowstorm in North Dakota, end of March, early April, I think like actually the second week of April. Um, And that affected the Canada goose nesting pretty heavily. I saw it in August. Like you could very distinctively see that there was two basically different nesting periods uh, that had produ- that had produced broods. You know, there was um, broods that had or geese that had got there in March, which is typically when they start nesting up there, and had you know protected their nests throughout that snowstorm and hatched out those chicks. And those broods were smaller on average. Like typically, uh, those goslings were there was only two or three of them with parents. You know, there was exceptions, obviously, but on average, I'd say two to three goslings in those broods and those birds could fly um, right when that August goose season up there opened. And then there was a later brood um, that I'm guessing were mostly from re-nesting efforts after geese had lost their um, nests from that snowstorm. And those broods for the most part could not fly when the August goose season opened up there. So they were still pretty young. um, And I'm guessing, you know, they were probably more susceptible to predators, um, you know, probably didn't have as much fat on uh, by the time they had to make the fall flight. So probably a little bit lower survival rate. So I think all those things probably went into um, seeing a drop in the Canada goose numbers like that. But obviously no April snowstorm out there this year, or maybe there was one, but not as bad of one, I don't believe. So hopefully uh, they'll, the, Canada numbers will bounce right back up with a better nesting effort this year. And that's, you you hit on something else I wanted to kind of just briefly touch on, and that is um, re-nesting. And uh, so that, you know, that's why obviously this is an estimate um, and birds will re-nest if their first nest gets destroyed, if they have the, you know, the energy to do so. And if 
habitat conditions are favorable, which this year it appears as long as they can keep catching some rains, there will be favorable conditions for re-nesting efforts should their first nest, you know, be lost to predation or whatever. Um, but those, obviously, those ones aren't going to get counted in this survey. I mean, that, that could be happening right now, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it's an estimate, but for the most part, uh, they should kind of be starting to nest at least. And I guess that's more counting nesting birds, not really the broods, but. Yeah, yeah. North Dakota actually has a brood survey that they do um, later in the summer. And I'm sure those results we publish them. We'll, we'll likely talk about them on here. Um, but I'm, I don't know if they're the only state. They're the only one I've ever seen that does a brood survey like that. But it's cool to uh, kind of compare the two. You know, obviously a breeding survey is only counting the adult birds. And then the brood survey gives you an idea of what the nesting success was like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's about it on it, honestly. I mean, we could dive in deeper on it, but uh, the only other thing I wanted to touch on was um, them what they said about it being the seventh highest wetland index. So I don't necessarily know how they do that index or what it really is a measure of. I would just kind of loosely describe it as water on the landscape, but um seventh highest wetland index and they've been doing the survey for over 70 years now so see that's pretty good last year was the second highest ever wetland index so i think one thing i was looking at is that you know if the total duck number is the same this year as last year but the wetland index is a little bit lower this year i think it probably goes to show uh that the total bird numbers or total uh, total adult numbers are probably a little bit higher going into this breeding season, which is probably is what we'd expect given that last year was really wet out there. Um, and hopefully there were, it was a good breeding season because, you know, as everybody has been talking about the last couple of years, they, when they, uh, you know, they didn't do the surveys for a couple of years. And then last year they come out and it's not the best uh, numbers, you know, overall so kind of rambling here but what i'm trying to say is i think we're on the right track here you know got two good wet years back to back and i think this year should probably be another um good year on the uh, u.s fish and wildlife breeding duck survey yeah and that'll come out in august and i'm i guarantee we'll talk about that when that does um i guess the only other thing of note that just kind of it's not a really long article. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, but it's on Delta Waterfowl's site. The only other thing really of note is conditions are generally good across the pra- uh, prairie pothole region, although parts of Saskatchewan and Alberta prairie are dry. So, I mean, it's a the prairie pothole region is a huge region. You can't expect for all of it to be pristine nesting conditions, but a sounds like a very significant portion of it are, um, you know, good condition to excellent condition for waterfowl hatching. So uh, good news for duck hunters this upcoming fall. And uh, yeah, we're (laughs) waiting now. Uh, I guess the uh, next big milestone for the counter here, you know, on the countdown to duck season is the release of the federal duck stamp, which should come out in about two weeks, sometime in the last week of June, typically. Actually, I'm going to look up the date. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I would say that the kind of current state of the prairies with Canada being a little drier, North Dakota being really wet, South Dakota's pretty wet as well. Um, I'd say that bodes very well for the Mississippi Flyway. One thing I've really noticed, I've been, I always think the uh, GPS tracking stuff that they're doing on ducks now is really cool, and I... Uh, try and pay as much attention to that as possible. And one thing I've noticed looking at that is it seems like the birds coming out of kind of the U.S. part of the prairie pothole region, a lot of times it seems like those are the birds that are headed down to Arkansas, ten- West Tennessee, Kentucky, stuff like that, um, versus it seems like those birds that 
nest up on the Canadian prairies, a lot of those seem to be more central flyway ducks. You know, of course, that's not hard and fast rule, um, but that's kind of a general trend I've noticed by looking at uh, some of that GPS tracking data. So I think the uh, hopefully the Mississippi flyway will be in for a pretty good year if the if North Dakota and South Dakota stay wet like they are right now. Yeah, so um, I guess not to bounce too far off that, uh, I will say one thing is, you know, I've looked at that data as well, and it always kills me to see just like birds that are banded or geotagged or whatever fly over like areas I hunt and like you never see them, but you know they're there. So it's just like salt in the wound. But then, you know, you know, like Michigan, every bird's banded up in Michigan, it seems like, or at least, you know, from <laughs> certain experiences from people I've that know, I know that hunt Michigan, it seems like they always shoot a couple bands each year, just crazy. Um, but yeah, the, uh, anyways, the, the federal duck stamp, I just looked it up. It goes on sale this year, June 23rd. So, okay. So that's a, just that's a less week, than two weeks away now. Yeah. And I, I'm always like, I always get it the opening day of sale just because it's, you know, it's just one more step and one less thing to worry about too. You know, I, um, it's easy to forget if you just, you know, day before season and before they were doing all the online stuff, you have to go to the post office and get one. So I just like to do that, cross it off one less thing to worry about. Yeah, I wish I was in the same boat. I mean, I'm sure I have bought them before at the post office during the summer, stuff like that. Uh, the last couple of years, <laughs> last couple of years, I've bought them in the minutes leading up to shoot time on opening morning. So a little bit of procrastination on my part the last couple of years. But uh, I'm also... I tend to lose stuff. So I'm, I'm always afraid that if I go and buy it in the middle of summer, by the time September, mid August gets here, it's going to be in the bottom of a glove compartment or something like that. And I'm not going to be able to find it. So I, uh, I tend to cut that one pretty close. No, see, I've, I've got, it. it's just, I don't know. It, it, uh, it helps me kill more of the summer. It's like, it's like one more step closer to, you know, being duck season so like when we we have you know the federal duck stamp and then we can get our hip numbers i believe it's august 1st each year so i'm always got i get it august 1st i get it the day it comes on sale and then it's just you know yeah i just gotta suffer through it but uh yeah i don't know it helps it helps me with the duck depression a little bit yeah you gotta do what you gotta do so Oh, well, did well, we have anything else we wanted to touch on? It's kind of, kind of short and sweet. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I'm trying. Yeah, we might we might just end it here. You know, overall good news. Uh, hope we keep getting rain across the state, across the country. I know Kansas still is in a drought. They desperately need the moisture, so hopefully they can hit it. Um, I did see, I think it was last week, North American or. There's too many anagrams or organizations with abbreviations nowadays, but the National Weather Service, sorry, has, uh, let's see, I believe they announced it's going to be an El Nino. Can you explain those to me? I mean, I've, I've, I've looked at them before and I used to know what they meant and like, I don't know, I just haven't paid enough attention in the last couple of years. I kind of forgot. So what is, what's an El Nino? Is that a good one or a bad one? So it's basically it's um I'm try- and I'm not a professional meteorologist although I I feel like I could predict the weather a little more accurately some days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like based on sea sea temperatures in the Pacific Ocean yeah. is just a really basic um rudimentary kind of really watered down version is what I'm going to go with here. And what that means. So in a El Nino, and I'm looking something up here too. So I don't (laughs) totally butcher this. (laughs) 
Yeah, so like the northern parts of North America are going to be generally warmer and like the eastern, what Jordan would consider the Midwest. So Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, basically Missouri, kind of an east are going to be generally drier. Okay. And then right along about the California, the desert states, Texas, and into the all the states along the Gulf Coast, basically, and then up the... Atlantic coastline are supposedly supposed to be uh, wetter. Hmm. Okay. Gotcha. It's hard to imagine California could get much more wet given, you know, their snowpack and the amount of rains they got this spring. I thought that, I guess it's something that would kind of be cool to touch on real quick is, have you looked into that Tulare Lake uh, that refilled out there? Is that the one that was shut down and, um, no, it's, it was, um, it was North America's some, it was one of North America's largest lakes, um, up until like the early 1900s. And basically when California started ditching, um, all the rivers and stuff like that, uh, they drained that lake and so turned the lake bed into farmland and, uh, you know, it's had kind of little, little reemergences from time to time when they've had giant snowpack like they had this year. But I think this year's like the biggest reemergence it's ever had. There's, you know, thousands and thousands of acres of farmland underwater right now. Um, so pretty interesting. And uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of cool. If you look at some of that California uh, tracking data, a lot of those birds seem to really focus in on that old lake bed. So I think it just goes to show um, how ingrained some of those migration patterns are are in our waterfowl populations. You know, this lake bed's been gone over a hundred years, basically, or the lake's been gone over a hundred years, and still birds um, migrate right down close to it, looking for a big old lake that's not there anymore. Yeah, well, that's you know, good news. Um, it sounds like even Lake Mead is coming up a little bit, so. It's yeah. still way down, but uh, keep you know keep keep the rain coming so it can fill those lakes up. Um, I, I looked into a little bit more on this El Nino, and it even says wetter areas can extend up into Kansas and Nebraska. So hopefully, good news. You know, hopefully, hopefully all the basins and the bottoms and all the big teal spots will get good rain between now and then, and couple months we'll be shooting blue wings hopefully yeah have you heard anything about the bottoms like do they have any water right now uh i'm not sure everyone everyone in kansas is talking about non-resident stuff right now so that's (laughs) that's about the only news i've got coming out of that so that's that's gonna be interesting how that plays out i i don't i foresee it I guess the whole non-resident regulations, we can hit on that real quick. So if you haven't heard of this yet, it's starting to trickle out. I've seen it pop up on social media more and more. Uh, Kansas had a commission meeting a few, it might've been just a month ago now, in the past two months, we'll say. And they're announcing possible new regulations for all their public grounds in Kansas, at least the state-owned stuff. Um and it would be that non-resident hunters would be limited to Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday use of those public lands. Uh, I believe under the proposed regulations that they couldn't even be out there in a boat to like scout on like sat, say they show up on a Saturday or Friday, allegedly they couldn't even scout. So there's obviously it's not set in stone. Um, but this was discussed at the past Kansas uh, commission meeting so something to keep an eye on if you hunt kansas and it would be kind of unfortunate to lose you know a to lose that public access for a significant portion and i could see other states retaliating even though you know some states already have laws like that like arkansas and um, i believe missouri even has something similar too but i think it would just accelerate other states doing the same you know similar legislation in the future yeah it's such a it's a fine line to walk because i mean obviously a state should be 
doing what's in the best interest for its residents. Um, but I don't think, I don't think anybody would want to see um, a future where you're basically relegated to hunting the state that you live in and you're looking at very limited opportunities for all other states. Like, I don't, I don't, it'd be really interesting to do a survey and see how many people would, would want the entire country to go to the South Dakota model, where if you want to go hunt out of state, you have to apply and draw a license for every, every other state that you want to go hunt. Um, I don't know how many people would be in favor of that. I personally would not. I, I think it's, awesome to be able to go and hunt other states spontaneously and not have to plan out every out-of-state trip you want to do months in advance uh but you know to each their own and i'm sure there's plenty of people in kansas who are really excited about those new regulations and think that it's gonna make their public lands great again yeah i mean i and you know i i understand it where if you go to a place or a public area and it's just all out of state tags, all out of state plates. And I mean, it happens here too. If you go go to the rainwater basin anytime during teal season, and it's very similar like that. Um, but, you know, I, I can understand residents being like that. And if I was a resident of Kansas, maybe I, I, I might be pretty excited about it, you know, having less pressure. I, I do wonder if other Kansas residents will take up those spots that were vacated by you know with the new legislation by non-residents i wonder if you know it'll be an increase of pressure um by or there, not an increase of pressure but there will be more pressure from residents because you know more will be like oh i can go out and hunt without all the non-residents coming out here now um so you know it's going to be interesting to to kind of follow and see what happens with this in my opinion um you know, there's other ways I that I've speculated you could get away, um, not not from making like you know limiting days that people can hunt, but just make like you could reduce bag limits for non-residents. You could uh, there's a whole bunch of different ideas out there. You could do the lottery system like South Dakota does. Um, you could move have non-residents start a week couple weeks later or whatever you know north dakota does something like that and they even have what is it is it 10 days or 14 days you can hunt in north dakota as a non-resident something like yeah, that yeah north north dakota is 14 days as a non-resident and like you said they start um or the first week of their season as resident only so yeah so you know stuff like that um i could i could definitely see happening in other states in the future um, and a big part of it is, you know, I, cause I've read the complaints. If you go on, um, there's, if you go on certain forums, waterfowl forums, you can, you can find whole threads of basically discussions about these Kansas regulations proposed and a lot of it. And I know Elliot, even, um, Elliot freelance duck hunting, North American waterfowler podcast. He just had talked to a guy manager out at Cheyenne Bottoms about this very issue just this past week and I listened to it. It was a very good podcast. So I definitely highly recommend anyone interested in this topic listening to that. Cause you know Elliot from Kansas, he has a unique perspective on this. So check that out after listening to this. But the 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 manager there was saying it's a it's a pressure issue. Um essentially, you know, the the birds show up and they go nocturnal. Uh and that's you know loud mud motors, loud boats, boats being able to access pools they previously were unable to because of these uh, surface drives, you know, you can get in more shallow water areas. Uh, and then you, you know, you might have huge hunting parties, guns a blazing and just uh, that, you know, increases pressure too. So it's, it's a very, there's a lot of moving parts to this. I'm going to double down on my let's ban all motorized boats. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, that, that would be a great way, great way to, uh, <laughs> to decrease pressure in my opinion. I mean, it, I, I've seen them. I've seen the motorized boats blow birds out. That's, uh, I, it'll never happen. I, I would be shocked if it ever did, but, um, I'd be no, so there's... game for it. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely would too. The Just only kayak out there, canoe out there, rowboat. Yeah, the... The only change I would make would be no mud motors for like anybody younger than 60, let's say, just because I, 
like they are a great tool for the people whose bodies physically can't do it anymore. And I guess that'd be such a slippery slope because then, you know, you have disabled hunters and you have um, youth hunters as well. So I don't know. I I guess you really would have to do a complete ban or no ban at all. Um, But yeah, like what you're, what you're saying about the pressure thing is like one thing I've really noticed last couple of years is that I think we've just become better killers, which is like a really crude way of saying it, but it's true you know, the days of the casual waterfowl hunter are gone, in my opinion. Like, you don't, the guy who goes out, you know, for opening weekend and maybe a couple weekends after that, or, um, you know, you know, the, what I'm saying, the casual hunter is, is kind of a thing of the past. So everybody who's doing it is kind of balls to the walls. They want to have the best gear. They want to get to the best spots. They want to see the best show, which you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'd say both of us are in that same boat. We put a ton of time and effort into duck hunting and we hope to see good results from that. Um, but when you get just a ton of people who all have that same mindset and want to all do it on public land, you know, you're, you're going to eventually run into overcrowding issues. That's just what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, kind of bouncing off that is another thing that has been brought up in particular to Kansas is uh, these non-residents, you know, they're up there for however many days. They don't have anything else to do, really. They're going to show up and they're probably going to hunt all day or until they get their limit. And then they're going to go scout for the next day, generally. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, whereas your resident hunter, they're probably, you know, they might go out for just a couple hours and then they got chores or they got family commitments or whatever you know so um i could see you know i can see that aspect of it too uh non non-resident pressure uh or pressure specifically from mainly non-residents not to say there isn't residents that also hunt all day um you know i i hunt all day i don't hunt kansas too often but i hunt all day regardless of where i'm hunting typically so uh, but that's just me yeah one thing I have noticed that I thought was kind of funny is is that the amount of um, I don't I wouldn't say hatred, but the amount of uh, negativity that South Carolina hunters have got in this like Kansas debate, like the few posts and stuff that I've read about this, it's like just these Kansas residents Dude. just hammering on South Carolina guys. Which the only other time I've really seen that was last year when I went out to North Dakota. And all the hatred out there for Minnesota guys are what they call blue platers. Like the farmers don't like them. The resident, the resident North Dakota hunters really don't like, like them. Uh, So it was kind of interesting to see kind of a parallel there with the Kansas guys really singling out uh, the South or the South Carolina hunters as being the ones who have kind of invaded their public lands and, um, caused you know these regulations to be put in place so and i think that's probably even a symptom of the arkansas regulations because you know south carolina guys have been going to arkansas for a long time from my understanding and big numbers um because you know if you want to if you want to go shoot a bunch of green-headed ducks that don't have a mullet you kind of got to leave south carolina from my understanding or release them on your private game farm yourself uh so yeah, I think the they were going to Arkansas for a long time, and then those Arkansas regulations got put in place, and now they're like, hey, go one state further and go to Kansas. So uh, it's just been interesting to see how much of a target those South Carolina hunters have had on their backs. Yeah, I you know they're they're willing to travel and they've got the money to do so. It seems like so. I don't. I think you're onto something with the you know the Arkansas regulations and whatnot but <laughs> i've noticed the same thing the kansas the certain individuals on kansas forums and stuff don't really care for the south carolina hunters which is just it's it's kind of a, like a crazy rivalry of all things you know there's just but yeah i mean it's like of all the states you would think you'd be seeing just a massive amount of traveling duck hunters from like i don't know South Carolina would not come to my mind first, but I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there's a lot of 
guys who hunt in South Carolina who got a lot of cash in the pocket to take a trip and they have the desire to go do it because they don't really see the migration anymore. So, yeah. And I guess one other thing to mention on this whole Kansas proposed uh, deal is what, how it's going to impact federal land. So Arkansas has similar laws in place already, but from my understanding is you can hunt the federal land any day of the week. Yep. What some of these people claiming, and this wasn't said on the commission meeting, this is just forum hearsay um, as of right now, nothing concrete or definitive, but they're claiming that it's going to, it's going to go over onto the federal refuges, which I have, I, I just can't, I find it hard to believe that they would allow a state to manage a federal refuge like that. Cause it would just, cause then basically the laws in Arkansas would be thrown out the window. I, I, I just don't see that happening. And there are, you know, there's, there's federal refuges that are open for hunting or federal properties, I should say, open for hunting in Kansas. So, um, that's not to say like non-residents couldn't go there and couldn't go with a guide during the other days that they're closed on the walk-in stuff or the WMAs or whatever other um, public properties that the state of Kansas owns. But the federal properties, they haven't said one way or one way or the other definitively. The yeah, I, I think, should say. I think that's the best way of doing it, in my opinion, is like how Arkansas has done it. Um, not that I'm a huge fan of you know, the, the kind of price that it costs to go and, um, get those five day permits. Cause I went out to Arkansas for a couple of days last year, just passing through when I went out to Texas and back and we were looking at hunting some Arkansas public land and kind of an astronomical price for to hunt for five days. But, uh, like, I think you, if you're really gonna, if you want to make it guess the most fair would be the best way to say it is to have some lands that are closed to non-residents where you know resident hunters can go and get away from the pressure but also have some lands that are open to everybody Um, because when you look at taking a trip I mean there's not many people who can just like go and take a trip for three days and say all right I'm gonna go hunt for three days and that's gonna be worth the travel expenses and everything like that um, you know, most people are going to want to look at taking a trip for a weekish. So to have some lands that are still be open to non-residents while uh, from that, I guess, Wednesday to Saturday period, I think that'd be the best way of doing it. Yeah, but they're not enacting them this current season. So I, I do want to make that clear. Anyone listening and thinking, oh, crap, I can't hunt Kansas this year. They're, the laws aren't going in in effect in 2023 2024 they're talking about this for 2024 season is that so that's going to be it yeah like we said it's going to be an interesting thing to follow if you hunt kansas stay closely uh, pay close attention to (laughs) to their upcoming new laws and regulations um and other other guys that hunt kansas like elliot from freelance duck hunting and the north american waterfowler podcast could provide more more info on that than Thomas or I, as we don't hunt Kansas too often. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, one thing that I I kind of doubt that it's intentional, but it would be really smart if they if that if they intentionally release these regulations like they did, where it's not going into effect this season, but the following season, uh, because you know I think you're probably going to see a little bit of an uptick in the guys going out to Kansas this year thinking, Hey, this is the last year I can go hunt Kansas for a full week and not have to worry about these dumb regulations. So might as well get my buddies and go take a trip out there. And uh, so if, if they did it intentionally, it was smart because you're probably going to see an uptick this season. You're going to have more residents complaining and then it's going to give them kind of more leverage to put those regulations into effect next season. (laughs) <laughs> you're you're full on like this conspiracy <laughs> deal here. well it's like uh i don't think honestly i don't think government is smart enough to do stuff like that I, like I, I i they just they don't think that far ahead in my experience uh or in my opinion but if they were 
to do something like that, it would be pretty smart. Like that's if you want to get a regulation, if you want to get people behind a regulation, then make the problem seem even bigger than it is. And uh, announcing a regulation like that a year in advance would be a good way of doing that. Yeah, that's I mean, that's true. They could also, you know, if you want to go even further, like they could have announced it early so they could get hear public outcry and hear people's complaints one way or the other and maybe work to address those in the coming year when they finally put the legislation into effect. Yeah, and that's probably more plausible than what I'm saying because in my opinion, Kansas Parks and Wildlife, like they've again, like probably bad terminology here, but like they've pimped out their public lands more than like any other state. They do these weekly duck counts. Like they're very, they've advertised how good their duck hunting is for years. Um, Like trying to get out of staters to come because, you know, it brings more dollars in license sales, um, more dollars to small businesses and stuff like that. Like I think they've intentionally tried to draw out of state hunters and now within the last couple of years, you're seeing the backlash of that with their public lands, public lands getting overcrowded. And now they're kind of, their commission is being pushed to uh, put these regulations into effect. So yeah, what you're saying about maybe they're saying it a year in advance so that uh, the regulation can be shot down or uh, something like that, that would probably even be more likely than what I'm saying. Yeah, only time will tell, but it will definitely be interesting to follow in the upcoming years. Um, <laughs> but I think uh, I think we hammered on that subject enough. Probably just call her a call her a podcast. What do you think, Thomas? Yeah, sounds good to me. Any any parting wisdom? No, I've rambled enough. Every time <laughs> I, every time we do one of these podcasts, I think I'm going to be able to like. I don't know, do them better. I would improve, but like every time I just catch myself rambling and stuff like that. So one day, one day I'll, I'll be a better podcaster, but until then appreciate everybody listening. Yeah. Thanks for listening. You guys can follow along. Uh, we'll, we have a Facebook group group. Yeah. Can't talk the foul front podcast group. You can check out there. Um, you can ask Thomas questions that he'll ignore two months later. And, uh, <laughs> Others. I just don't go on Facebook much anymore. That's the well, that's just truth that's just it. good life advice anymore. Just stay off Facebook. But <laughs> if you are on Facebook and you want to join a waterfowl group, the Fowl Front Podcast group, and then if you are on YouTube and you want to watch some some duck hunting videos or waterfowl content, check out Thomas's channel Hoke Outdoors and my channel High Prairie Sportsman. And we will catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening. See you. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.